For the week of August 28th, 2022, this is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 591, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. And in Birmingham, Alabama, the way it's meant to be, you in LA, me, you on the West Coast, me on the East Coast-ish, in Birmingham, Alabama, there we are, back where we belong. Who are you, though? Oh, I'm Michael Giltz. And who are you? Let yeah, me just I say, who vai iltabaiva, Sperling? <laughs> That's finished for uh, good afternoon. Oh, okay. Who vai iltabaiva? You're back from Finland. You had a wonderful okay. conference. You learned a lot about their, their business. You say the, the film industry is very healthy there. About 30% yes. of the box office is local. They have a strong, thriving film business where they're holding their own against Hollywood, creating lots of content. And now when there's a dearth of Hollywood cinema, they're like, we're all right. We got lots of good local cinema. So good for them. Yeah, this is the time of year, August, September, October, when lots of locally produced content comes out. Uh, and some of it, I mean, there's, there are some, uh, some films where I was like, how come we're not seeing this in, in the U.S. or Europe? Like, you know, the title, like they showed some of the trailers for these titles. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I thought, well, that, that looks like a lot of fun. There's one that's, I, I don't know the, the name of it, but basically it's about a grumpy old man who uh, wants to get his, his, you know, his car replaced, but he wants the same exact Ford Escort that he used to have. Well, of course, they don't make the Ford Escort anymore. So he travels all the way to Germany to get his Ford Escort. It's like grumpy old men, but but uh, just one guy, and he's a real grouch, and it's the fourth in a, in a series of films. Grumpy old men. Or in this case, grumpy old man. Whoever they have playing the man is So you've been good. traveling all over the world. Have you watched House of Dragons yet? 20 million viewers and counting have watched the first episode. So it's been sampled. <laughs> Yes, House of Dragons, you mean the prequel to Game of Thrones. Hey, such a prequel, they're using the same theme music. <laughs> it's like well, I have actually been told, uh, when I say this to people, they, they want the, the earth to stop spinning long enough for me to get off. And that is, I have not seen Game of Thrones. That's all right. I saw like one episode. That's okay. And I was like, eh. We all make our decisions. I think yeah. people are going to choose between these three shows. We've got Sandman. We've got the Game of Thrones prequel, House of Dragons, and starting September 2nd, the show I'm definitely going to watch from day one just to see what it's like, is the Lord of the Rings, Rings of Power. So I'm going to be checking that one out. Um, you know, uh, maybe people will watch all three. Clearly, they watched House of Dragons. Maybe it's the, it's the casual viewer that will say, ah, let me see which one is everybody really excited about. Or maybe all three will be hits. Who knows? Did you see the uh, the the video of that one building in New York City that was somebody was shooting it as the the show premiered and you could see all the televisions in all the rooms like all the light in, coming out of all, every room they all of turned the building at the same time they were all well like as scenes changed and it went from dark to light oh, back I to see. dark you could see you they could were all watching that, no, that's funny. They were all watching the same exact video. I thought that was kind of interesting. That's yeah, fun. Well, you've been all over the world. I've been in London. We, we, we've just been everywhere imaginable. I was gone for a month. You were gone for three weeks. We had three weeks off unintentionally. But hey, it's August, right? That's what happens. We're, we're European at heart. And now we're ready to dive back into it. What are we going to talk about this week? 
Well, this week on Showbiz Sandbox, as you mentioned, Michael, we are back on track, at least until our next overseas trips. And sorry about that, everyone. I mean, anyway, with with two weeks off, we've got a lot of catching up to do. First of all, there's the worldwide box office, which continues apace with films like Top Gun Maverick showing genuine legs, or should I say, Taking to the Air. <laughs> See, because it's, a, keep going, it's keep going. a movie about planes. Mm-hmm, so. Keep going. Anyway, of course, uh, one of the biggest theater chains in the world is... is uh, declaring bankruptcy. It's always great for that to happen when you're at a conference with cinema operators. It's nice. Uh, now, here's my question. Come on, we need films, Hollywood. Come on. In September too, you know, and October, we need big films. This popcorn isn't going to sell itself, and certainly uh, it won't sell when the North American box office hits the doldrums like it did this past weekend. Now, mental health, we've talked about it before on this program. It is not something to be embarrassed by anymore. Two actors announced social media breaks, and a third is getting more help that they clearly need, and hoping perhaps to be back in everyone's good graces in a flash. And if you are thinking that I'm talking about a particular person, you're probably right. Now, Salman Rushdie, he suffered a horrific attack. This was now like two weeks ago. In the UK... Uh, I guess it garnered as much outrage as a stand-up comic that yanked, he got yanked from the Edinburgh Fringe Fest. How do you get yanked from a festival that's supposed to offend you? How do you get yanked from a festival? They say you can't perform anymore. Okay, well, I guess you'll tell me more about that. Now, theater is back, just just like us, but you know who isn't back, Michael? The audience is going to theater. They're not going. We've got the latest from the New York Times, Michael's final letter from London, and a glimmer of good news from Spokane, Washington. That is a phrase I never thought I would say. A glimmer of good news from Spokane, Washington. (laughs) That that sentence. Uh, in any case, on Inside Baseball, we've got streaming. And then when we're not talking about streaming, we're going to talk more about streaming, streaming, and more streaming because that's pretty much affecting everything in the entertainment business right now. As we teased in our feed of news stories, streaming just beat cable for viewer eyeballs for the first time. That's affecting everything from sports rights to the upheavals at HBO Disco Max, which I will be calling it from now on, all the way to Disney. We'll cover it all. Oh, and so many interesting, fascinating people died in the last three weeks. I've decided, get this, and I'm going to hold me to it, people. I'm going to kill Michael to save us all the bother, okay? Because (laughs) it's just so many people died that if he lists them all, I will have to kill him. Of course, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we'll discuss some of the week's top headlines. But first, as always, unless he actually lists all the people who died over the past two weeks, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Gills to fill us in on the last week's box office. That's right. And we're looking at box office around the world. We have a link to Comscore and others in our show notes. Though Comscore was late this weekend. Even as of this morning, they had not listed the worldwide box office. Did you ever get an email from them giving a rundown? Uh because uh, they hadn't updated it as of this morning. They had not updated their worldwide chart. They had the North American chart. Let me try again. Nope, I still don't have an update on the worldwide chart. So uh, they're having a bad day. I do, I do have, I do have a, a, a uh, it says here, North, Comscore North Sunday estimates, global slash international box office roundup, August 28th. Sunday, Sunday, but they don't have the whole, the whole weekend roundup. I don't no, see no, no. It's, it's a recap from the weekend's notable performers. So Minions, for instance, made worldwide this weekend $17.7 million. That's what it made on August 21st. So I doubt it made the same exact money that it did last week. That's exactly what it made, $17.7 million at the weekend in August 21st. What did Bullet Train make on August 21st? $15 million. 
They're just giving us old news. Well, I'm just saying their website has not updated yet. I don't think you got an email because you would have forwarded it to me. So I think they're having a bad weekend. I don't know what's going on there, but generally we link to ComScore in our show notes. We pull info from everywhere that we can. Thankfully, some of the trades are covering the Korean and Chinese box office with separate stories. They should shoot the same for Japan, Australia, and other major markets, but at least they're capturing Korea and China. And the worldwide box office we have ending for the week of August 28th. And if you go to our show notes, we'll also have a list of all the movies and the box office for the week ending August 21st. If you follow us online at Facebook, we put all the info there as well. So even though we weren't around, we provided that info to you because we think it might be useful. Where can they find us on Facebook, Sperling? And how else can they find out what we're doing? Well, first of all, you can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash showbizsandbox. We're, and that's where you can like our page. We're on Twitter, where our handle is at Showbiz Sandbox. You can call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888. What is our phone number? I just totally five, forgot six, our seven, phone number. Send. Okay, that's what I thought. 888-567. I was going to say 567, but what, and I thought to myself, did I actually pick a good number like 567 in a row like that? It's 888-567-7263. And of course, you can email us dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. Adorable. So we're looking at box office around the world. We're just covering the week ending August 28th. We've got about 10 movies that made at least $10 million around the world. And the number one movie is Dragon Ball Super, Superhero. This is a Japanese animated film, probably cost about $10 million to make. This week, it made $29 million. It's at $61 million and counting. So whatever it cost, it was a low-budget anime, and it's definitely in the black, and there will be more Dragon Ball movies. At number two around the world is Minions, The Rise of Gru. That keeps chugging along. Another $25 million thanks to opening up in Italy and China. I think it made modest money in China, but it's been doing well all over the world. It's at $870 million. It was just released in China on August 19th. So this is the second weekend of its Chinese release. It also has a different ending. In the American version, spoiler alert, I'm going to give you a little, little spoil here. At the very end of the movie, some of the bad guys get away. In China, those bad guys are either caught and arrested or they become a father of three children, <laughs> which apparently is a nod towards Chinese policy trying to encourage people to have lots of kids. They used to have a one-child policy. Yeah, but is having three kids like the, the punishment? Like, oh, yeah, if you don't Wait, go to jail, then you're going to have three kids. <laughs> it should be the punishment. That's right. So uh, fans there don't seem to mind. The movie's doing all right. And it's at $870 million worldwide. Uh Shin Shen Bang, Yang Jian, a.k.a. New Gods, Yang uh, Jian, is a Chinese anime movie, anime, animation movie, I should say. That's in its second week. It's made $24 million. It's at $44 million and counting total. It's the second in the New Gods series. And of course, as we all know, it's based on the uh, novel Investiture of the Gods from the, oh, I forget what era it is. I blew the joke. Oh, well, it's hundreds of years old. But it would be familiar to all Chinese people, just like, say, Robin Hood is familiar to all of us. Brad Pitt has an action film. It's doing okay. Um, it's not, hasn't tripled its budget yet, but it's Bullet Train. It made another $24 million this week. It's at $175 million worldwide. So it's just about doubled its budget, which was about $90 million. So it's got a ways to go to hit 270 which would be tripling that reported budget. And that would give us a sense that it's probably doing great just from box office alone. But it's showing pretty good legs. 
Moon Man. Now is I saw this film. Oh. I, I saw this film in in Finland, but it had Finnish and Swedish subtitles. And it, the movie begins with people talking. I, I want to say, well, it had Japanese, really. Uh, and then there are moments in the film where they speak Japanese because it takes place in Japan. So you have like eighteen languages on the screen. No, no, I, I, there's no English subtitles. Because you're not supposed to know so, what they're saying, right? Oh, you're in Finland. I see, I see, I see. Yeah, yeah. And so I was like, I don't know. I hope I can figure this movie out. <laughs> well, but but uh, it was fine. I was able to, I was like, oh, she, he's really pissed at her. She's really pissed at him. Okay. I welcome to life for the rest of the world. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Moon Man is a Chinese film about an astronaut who thinks an asteroid has wiped out all life on Earth and he's alone in the universe. It's a comedy. A drama and a comedy. It made $23 million this week. It's at $420 million worldwide. Remake. Remake. Uh, you know what? I, I think it stars uh, Johnny Depp. I thought I saw nah, him. Uh, good good call forward. Very nice. Very nice. Uh, Warriors yeah. of Future. Uh, that's a Hong Kong sci-fi actioner. That made $17 million this week. It's at $90 million and counting. It's an action flick where an alien plant attacks Earth. Uh, people band together in Hong Kong to fight back, and then they find out there's a conspiracy. Uh, DC is in trouble. Uh, Warner Brothers wants to make DC better, even though their movies have been very commercially successful in the last few years. Nonetheless, there's turmoil, and they might be getting a new head of DC looking towards the animation department, and they have an animated film, DC League of Super Pets. That's in theaters right now. Not great reviews. It made $16 million this week. It's at $150 million, but like Bullet Train, it costs $90 million to make. So that's still in the questionable category. I've just had some friends tell me they really liked Nope, the Jordan Peele film. I was writing them off as the M. Night Shyamalan of horror flicks right now, the new M. Night Shyamalan for making movies that have cool premises but don't quite deliver. But they say no, they like this one. It made $15 million this week. It's at $150 million worldwide and counting, but it's his most expensive film by far. It costs $70 million to make, so it's got a little ways to go as well before we can say it's a hit from box office alone. That doesn't mean these movies won't be profitable. It just means they're not an out-and-out -out smash hit. Once, ah, there's a bug on my, my lemonade. I'm outdoors. <laughs> Once Nope is all said and done, I'm sure everybody will make money and be very happy. And Jordan Peele will go on to make more movies and more power to him. But so far, not a big hit. Idris Elba has a movie. It's a beast of a film. In fact, it's called Beast. Oh, I blew the joke. I was going to say it stars Liam Neeson because it stars Idris Elba as a dad out in the jungle protecting his two daughters from a giant, rabid, crazy lion. And it just sounds like a Liam Neeson film. It costs $14 million. Uh, it costs $36 million to make, and that's just what it's grossed so far worldwide. Thor, Love and Thunder is chugging along. That's at $750 million worldwide. The Invitation is a horror film that has opened up in North America and around the world. It made about $9 million in its opening week. Kind of a soft opening. And the U.S. was really, really quiet. Very little business going on. But there are some movies that have been hits. Where the Crawdad Sings is a hit. That made $9 million this week. And it's at $107 million and counting. Elvis is doing pretty darn good. Uh, that's tripled its budget now. That's at $277 million worldwide. Hunt, a Korean flick. Based on a true events from the 1980s, that's at $30 million worldwide. And Jurassic World Dominion, it's at $990 million worldwide. It's made $5 million last week around the world. It needs to claw its way to the $1 billion mark. It needs $10 more million to do it. But because the box office is so slow and so few movies are coming in, it might just make it.
You know, I I know that you we, you kind of uh, went past Beast, but uh, you kind of mentioned uh, that that uh, it's about Idris Elba trying to protect his his family from mm-hmm. a big rabid lion. But I especially like that scene where where he tells the lion, you know, uh, that uh, he has a particular set of skills yeah. skills that skills that uh, that he has acquired over a lifetime career. D- did you see the film? No, I didn't. The, um, so did okay. you? Uh, you just sent your daughter off to France, didn't you? Yes, I did. So did you tell her you yes. have a special set of skills and you'd be able to protect her from afar no matter what happened? She'd be okay? You'd be there for her? The, the reason I, I, I mentioned uh, Taken, which is where that, those lines they know. comes from, they know. is, uh, is uh, because she said, you know, don't forget that you, know, you have to be able to, to say that and mean it. <laughs> <laughs> um, so other movies, Orphan First Kill is a horror flick that opened up. It's made $6 million so far. You can't criticize them for rushing out a prequel uh it's a prequel to the movie orphan which came out in 2009 i mean you know that's not a way to capitalize on a horror flick top gun maverick keeps chugging along one billion four hundred and seven million dollars worldwide george miller has a new movie that's opened up that isn't doing very well three thousand years of longing it opened up to about three million dollars because it costs 60 million dollars to make this could be one of the bigger flops of the year certainly in terms of the box office it makes versus the money it costs to make i saw it in uh can and uh i can see why it's not doing well it's not so good yeah well that's the worldwide box office you can see um that it's really low here in north america and coming to the rescue is national cinema day now they're doing it in the uk on saturday september 3rd and now they're doing it in the U.S. on Saturday, September 3rd. Tickets will be $3. They announced it yesterday. We're recording on Monday, August 29th. They announced it on Sunday, August 28th. Great time to get attention, by the way. And just a week before it happens. Why would they have so little time to build up or, or tell people about it? I mean, that's not the way to, you know, tout something and get people excited by, hey, coming soon. You know, really? Five, seven days? That's all the news they want to give them? Not only that, but uh, there is a, a, an initiative here in the U.S. called Cinema Week, where it's a week worth of, of programming that, that they're trying to do. And it was, it's being uh, when is that happening? by – it's a five-day nationwide event designed Ooh. to energize moviegoers. Ooh. Who's it, doing it? It's a, it's a promotional group. It's a group that uh, helps movie theater operators. Who's funding it? Who is backing it? Who's making it happen? Who's paying? There's a bunch of sponsors. Uh, but the problem, chains? of course, well, there are some theater chains that participate, but it's been, they've been planning this for a year. Uh, it's the second time. And they, they have the same exact logo as Cinema Day. Uh, and actually, I should say, Cinema Day has the same exact logo as Cinema Week since they've been around for a year. What? You're confusing the hell out of me. Who is promoting National Cinema Day? Is it NATO? Is it the theater chain? Yes, it's, it's, it's NATO, right, the so theater chain. So that's the chains. official one. This other one, there's no official person. Some theaters may participate, but they're not really doing it. Who's funding it? Who said, let's have a Cinema Week? Uh, there are sponsors. I, I believe Coca-Cola is one of the sponsors. Who? You know, there's, Who? I, yeah. I'm tr- I'm trying to go to their website right now, cinema-week.com. Right. So both of these are very poorly done. Whoever is backing them, they're certainly not doing a good job. NATO wants this to happen. Why are they giving people just a week to hear about it? That doesn't seem like a lot of tub thumping, a lot of excitement to say, hey, here comes National Cinema Day. You think they'd want to get more excitement about it. Now, next week, there will be an extended cut of Spider-Man No Way Home. That's opening up. So... And that's a, a modest thing. Hey, it's here's the movie you like, but even longer, and you've already been able to see it in your home. 
but it's three bucks. Maybe they'll get some people to come out. But when there's not a lot of movies in theater, it's really hard to get people to come and spend even three bucks on it. I'm like, maybe I'll do it. Well, they're showing Jaws, but in many cases, they're showing Jaws in 3D. You know what I don't want to see is Jaws in 3D. It wasn't shot for 3D. It's not meant to be seen in 3D. There are almost no moments where the shark is coming out of the water because famously it didn't work well. That's a really dumb movie to turn into a 3D movie. So everything about that is stupid. I'd like to go see Jaws in the theater, not in 3D. So I think the whole thing is kind of nonsense. I'm sorry that they're not doing a good job of it and not promoting it well. I know that the box office is slumbering. Here in North America, the total box office for the year so far is $5,200,000,000. In China, it's $3,500,000,000. So we're way ahead of China in terms of this year. But it's not a competition. We want all markets to do well. And we want movies from Hollywood and all over the world to be successful everywhere. So we want China to do well as well, as long as they're letting in movies from around the world and they're having a healthy open market. I know that there's other theaters, uh, chains that are not doing great. Cineworld, for example, we sort of misspoke in the, in the intro. I guess what we should have said is that it's possible Cineworld, the owner of Regal, will be will possibly be filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. They're the world's second largest theater chain. They're not going anywhere, but they are looking to financially rejigger the books. And part of that may be declaring Chapter 11 so they can do some financial steps, right? Yeah, I mean, look, like many businesses, whether they're movie theaters or not, during the pandemic, when they were forced to shut down, they lost money. Uh, and yet they still had operating expenses they had to pay, so they had to go and find more money. That made them more in debt. Cineworld, same thing. Now, they also spent time before the pandemic running up a big bill by acquiring uh, Regal and lots of different uh, theater chains throughout the world to become the second largest theater chain operator. And of course, they are now having trouble servicing that debt because in in part because of the pandemic, in part because, uh, you know, they say a lack of movies, which I think most uh, cinema operators would tell you that the third quarter is not going to be great. They're all looking forward to the holiday season, of course. Uh, but they didn't necessarily say, oh, we're, we're filing for bankruptcy. But boy, their their statements point to nothing but that. I mean, <laughs> right. when you look at it, they finally had to come out. So on one, on one Wednesday, they're saying, you know, we may have to have a deleveraging event. Well, gee, what could that possibly be a deleveraging <laughs> transaction? It, it, it might uh, dilute some of the investors, right. meaning the people who own the company. And of course, then the Wall Street Journal reports, oh, they're filing for bankruptcy. And they're like, we never said that. We never said that at all. And then by the following Wednesday, they said, you know, that might be one of the things we're exploring. We might be possibly, potentially looking at a bankruptcy filing. And everybody's like, well, stop beating around the bush. Just tell us what you're doing because it looks exactly like you're filing for bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe they're looking forward to some more content uh, coming to theaters. That's certainly going to happen by Uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, but we don't have to wait that long. Amazon is coming to the rescue with Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. It's coming to movie theaters on August 31st. If you're a Cinemark loyalty member, you can snag a reservation, get a $10 snack voucher, and sit in a theater and watch the first episode or second episode, I don't know how many, of Lord of the Rings, The Rings of Power. That's going to debut on streaming September 2nd. So just like Game of Thrones came to theaters, Amazon's like, oh yeah, we can do that game too. I actually would go, but I'm not a Cinemark member and there's no Cinemark near me. And if you're in the Philippines, you might be going to see the local film Made in Malacanang. We're always happy 
to see local content do well. That's great for the film industry. In this case, unfortunately, it's a whitewashing of the Marcos family, uh, Ferdinand and Melda Marcos, who were incredibly corrupt, had people tortured and killed, declared martial law. They are terrible, terrible people. And unfortunately, uh, this movie, pretend, pre pretend, uh, they present them as just, oh, nice people who are a little misunderstood. <laughs> so it's a really grotesque rewriting of history. Their son, Ferdinand Marcos Jr., is now the president of the Philippines, which is grotesque and awful. Uh, so, you know, I, I've known people who've lived in that country for many years, uh, people who've done business there, wonderful people, wonderful country, a shame what's happening there right now. And too bad this is the local movie we got to talk about. But it's stressing out my mental health. I, that's all I can say, Sperling. How are you doing? You've been traveling all over the world. Is your mental health okay? Are you feeling good and stable? I'm exhausted. I'll be honest. <laughs> yeah. I could use a nap. Yes. Oh, my God. By the way, I have COVID. What? Wait, <laughs> yeah. is that true? Yes, it is. So I traveled all over the world, and you think, well, of course I'm going to have COVID. I came back. I was okay. Six days later after coming back, I'm mixing out in the world again, and boom. Suddenly I get symptoms six days after returning. So maybe I caught it here in Birmingham. Maybe I got it in an airport. I don't know. I have it. My 93-year-old mother has it. We're both fine. We got great vaccinations, and now we got great medicine to deal with it. So that's my health. <laughs> Sorry about <laughs> burying the lead. I forgot to mention that. See, that's how good I feel. I don't. I be, I forget sometimes. I have COVID, so, and it's totally made you your mental acuity so sharp. You stay on track like <laughs> like nobody's business, right? Just like Jonah Hill and Tom Holland, both of them have taken breaks from social media for mental health reasons. Like you know what? I need a break. Tom Holland's been a very big social media user, really uses it well to promote his movies. You know what, dude? You can take six months off. It's okay. The idea that you have to feed the beast all the time, not true. You've got so many fans that when you come back on to promote a movie or talk about whatever you want to, when you want to, they will still be there. You do not have to provide content 24-7, not when you're a big-name superstar. If you're a person whose whole existence is built around you know, social media, then maybe that's true. But when you're a world-famous superstar and you've got a new movie to talk about, people will come back. Don't worry about it. In contrast, we have actor Ezra Miller. Now, they made a public statement. They are seeking treatment for, quote, complex mental health issues, end quote. Warner Brothers says, thank you. <laughs> thank you <laughs> they're so happy yeah they've got the movie the flash exactly it tests i mean the really flash. really well they want to release it next summer but ezra miller has been a nightmare in terms of really upsetting weird strange and unnerving news stories about all sorts of different issues and complications uh people going to court over things that he said and done they have said and done uh breaking into a home and stealing liquor i mean that's minor but that shows a real you know, a real imbalance in terms of what you're doing. So I thought, wow, this is great. They're going to get treatment. They've recognized that they maybe need help. It sounded like they need help. Unfortunately, one of the stories in the trade said that Miller met with Warner Brothers executives and they didn't really care about all the headlines. They didn't care about it at all, but they were a little freaked out when they thought Warner Brothers might just dump the movie entirely. That's what they were worried about. Oh, God, they might dump the flash the way they dump Batgirl. That's when they said, uh-oh, I guess we better do damage control. Now, that's just according to these, these new stories in the trades. But if that's what's causing them to step forward and do this, then it doesn't sound like a really sincere uh, reaching out for the help that they probably need. So that makes me a little wary of this. But hopefully they're doing it for the right reasons. Hopefully they're getting whatever help they need and putting their life back in order. 
a question. You said who who was concerned about the fact that they might dump it? You mean Ezra Miller? Ezra Miller, Ezra Miller was like Uh-oh. they didn't care about the headlines. They were, they could care less about them being in the news and all the crazy things that were happening to them and people saying you've taken my child away. You know all these crazy crazy things going on in their life. Um, they didn't care about all that according to this story, but they were worried when they saw Batgirl get dumped and th- and heard Warner Brothers might do the same with the Flash that that was an actual option. They might take this two hundred million dollar movie and say you know what. This person's not worth it. We're just going to write it off. And that freaked them out. That's just according to one trade. Ezra, you want to call us up and correct us? Go right ahead. <laughs> well, you know, hopefully Ezra Miller gets the help he needs uh, or they need. Uh, and uh, you know what, though? I know that that's kind of our health news. Do we have any social justice news? Because I know, first of all, there was the whole stabbing of <laughs> yeah, that's, that's an, Salman Rushdie. That's, that whole, you make it sound like an episode of Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, no, a lot of things happening. We got some good news and some bad news. The good news is Singapore. Singapore ended a vestige of British colonial rule by finally repealing Section 377A of the Penal Code, which criminalized sex between two men. Yay! I've My dad lived in Singapore for years. I have friends from Singapore. Singapore, so it's very exciting to see. However, they will still restrict queer content in the media. So Disney's Lightyear, eh, that was restricted to 16 and older. No weather on, no word on whether the L word is affected because that's women. <laughs> in the UK, broadcasters and streamers alike are calling out studios and post-production facilities for their horrible record on access for the disabled. Going into a studio or editing units or whatever you're doing, terrible, terrible. Uh, access for people who are disabled. They've talked about this a year ago. They're shining a spotlight on it again, saying, look, you've got to fix this. That's good news. Uh, You were a little confused by when I referred to Ezra Miller as they. I can understand why that might be. Uh, In gender news, we have the Spirit Awards and the Canadian Screen Awards. They are both going gender neutral in acting categories. So there will be best lead and best supporting. That means you lose two awards. However, if you could toss and say best ensemble, you're only going to lose one. And you know what? In no other categories do we have gender breakdowns. There's no best female director. There's no best male cinematographer. There's no best female composer. So there's no reason why acting should be any different. That's my feeling. Tell me your joke about the VMAs. We had the MTV Video Music Awards, and you made a joke earlier, didn't you? Yes, about Johnny Depp kind of flying in over the crowd as the Moon Man. He he pre-recorded a bunch of stuff, and he they had this big giant Moon Man fly over the audience, and they superimposed Johnny Depp's face, and he was actually saying like, "Hey, man, look, I just needed the work. You know, I'll come do your bar mitzvah, wedding, get wakes. I'm available for work." Isn't that a bizarre decision? Well, he has been a part of the. Uh, the VMAs in the past, so of course you know, he has. But I, in I the past, his there wasn't a long, there wasn't a long public record of him being physically and emotionally abusive to his wife. Right. Well, though, you know, according to court, the, no, you know, the no, jury verdict. No, no, no. There's a difference between found guilty in court and other courts have found him guilty. The UK court said he is a wife beater. It's perfectly fair to call him a wife beater. So different courts. That's said, what they said. Yeah, they didn't call him a wife beater. They said it. it it could have happened, therefore, that, you know... They said it's fine yes. to call him a wife beater. And when you see the text and and audio messages that he left for her, you go, wow, that's not someone I really want to be associated with. Doesn't matter... The her what he being was, Amber Heard in this case. That's right. 
but yeah. to his wife, yes. But the, his ex-wife, yes. When you see the text and audio he left, you think, wow, I do not want to be associated with this person. That's a reasonable thing for any, any event or organization to choose. And then to have him as a jokey cameo at the Video Music Awards, you don't find that bizarre? You're like, oh, whatever. I think it's a bizarre choice for both of them. Well, him, he doesn't care. Yeah. What does he care? He's make, directing a movie, he's starring in a, a French film, and uh, he's happy to show up at the VMAs. He wants to be rehabilitated. It's a perfectly reasonable choice for Johnny Depp. He wants to be seen as perfectly acceptable. Why wouldn't he yeah, do it? Well. In Venice, however, people are criticizing the Venice Film Festival because they are showing the final film of Korean director Kim Kai-duk, despite many, many credible allegations of physical abuse, assault, and rape from women and people who witnessed such abuse. He was facing court trials when he died of COVID. He admitted to slapping women on the set of films, slapping women in the face. <laughs> you know, like, he said, well, that's part of my technique. Other women said he raped them. Numerous media reports came out there, which he tried to sue over and lost in court for all these allegations. So, and these are allegations of abuse while making movies. Even if you wanted to say, well, their private life is separate from their, it's like, this was stuff he did to actors while making movies. So the Venice said, we're just not talking about the human. We're just looking at the film. We want to celebrate and look at the film. We separate the, the talent from the work. They're different. They're separate. I agree. But when they've just, people have just come forward and said he's done all these horrible things, it's kind of weird to suddenly rush out and want to celebrate him. Anyway, in New York, really bad news. Actor, author Salman Rushdie was attacked and stabbed on stage in New York at the Chautauqua Institute, a movement and place historically devoted to public lectures, readings, and entertainments to encourage lifelong education and self-improvement, as well as condemning human right violations. He's still in the hospital. He's speaking, I guess, but he's been seriously damaged and, and, and attacked. The person has been arrested. Author J.K. Rowling, she condemned, of course, the attack, as many others did, and then she received death threats after supporting Rushdie. So, an awful thing. We certainly support J.K. Rowling. Nobody should be offering her death threats. Nobody should be attacking Salman Rushdie on stage. It doesn't matter how offensive you find something somebody wrote. That's never acceptable. Write your own response. Do you remember when he was in hiding for like 11 years? Yeah, he thought his like, life had returned it, back to normal. He thought he was, you know, that the fatwa, which in this case was a violent fatwa calling for his death and the death of publishers and the death of booksellers and anyone who helped promulgate the book. Uh, he wasn't writing the book to be outrageous. He didn't expect it to get this reaction. Uh, it's, you know, it was certainly provocative, but he didn't think it would be any more provocative than anything else he wrote. He wasn't trying to offend as such. Uh, it's one of the translators was killed. Right. Yeah. No, one of the Japanese, yeah. just a grotesque, grotesque. Well, you know, so years ago I was at a restaurant waiting for a table and up walks Salman Rushdie. Mm -hmm. It was like 19 and it was like right when he started to go out in public. Mm -hmm. And I thought, what the heck is Salman Rushdie doing at a restaurant in Los, it just was the weirdest disconnect yeah. because I didn't even know he was not in hiding anymore. And there he is standing behind me at a restaurant. It just, I, very I saw him at a performance of uh, Midnight's Children, a, a stage adaptation of his classic novel, a great, great novel, Midnight's Children. Not a good stage adaptation, but it was there and they were trying to turn it into a stage spectacle and he showed up for the performance. So that was kind of cool. Um, yeah, you know, if you're offended by what he wrote, I can respect that thoroughly. Uh, you couldn't offend me if anything you wrote about Catholicism, because I probably said worse myself, but I can understand why you're offended. But nobody should support violence against people, uh, no matter how 
obnoxious or vile you think their comments are. In Edinburgh at the Fringe Fest, I've had friends who've gone there for the first time this year, had a great time. They loved it. They said it's really well run, really well done, just an awesome event. They saw lots of really good stuff. The apps that they have make it really easy to navigate and find shows and tickets stuff. So I'm very excited. I'd love to go there someday. Uh, but comic Jerry Sadowitz, he's hoping someday he'll get to come back as he was canceled. Oh, there you go. He's known for envelope pushing comedy. That is to say comedy that's obnoxious or vile. In his case, perhaps intentionally so. He says he's portraying someone filled with hate. And yes, who is self-hating? He says you're not supposed to identify with his miserable persona. Or at least that's what some UK critics explained about him. I'd never really heard of him. And yet he uses racial slurs and all these obnoxious things. But why was he ranked, yanked from Fringe Fest? Because uh, he'd done one show. And he called a politician running for prime minister the P-word. And then he whipped out his own penis. Uh, so I'm like, well, all right, if you're exposing yourself on stage, I can imagine why they wouldn't. Pull. However, later in the article, they said, no, 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 the P-word is not penis. To which I'm now going, and they said it's as unacceptable as the N-word. To which I am now going, what? <laughs> what, what was the word that he used? What was, what's the P-word? <laughs> I know what the N-word is. I have no idea. And if it's not penis, so if you're British and you know, please tell us. <laughs> anyway, he's known... Yes, because now we're curious. Now, he's known for being vile. His most famous opening line for this misanthropic character is Nelson Mandela. What a blank. <laughs> it's a, the C-word. So he's always been out on the edge. I doesn't sound like somebody I would necessarily like. Um, it sounds like if he's exposing himself, they had good reason to yank him from the fest. You know that you're not allowed to do, but they knew what he was like to begin with. So I'm not quite sure what happened there. Uh, I won't weigh in other than to say, you know, uh, everybody's trying to figure out the world and things that were acceptable 10 or 20 years ago. They're not anymore. Sorry, it happens. But you caught a great little bit about Jerry Sadowitz, which I didn't know. Yeah, so I looked him up because I was like, I've never heard of him. So, and sure enough, I tried to listen to some of his stuff, and I have to admit, uh, the the Scottish accent, uh, I was like, oh my god, wow! I, yeah, this is this is going to take me ten minutes just to like tune my ear to the accent. But in 1987, he called Jimmy Seville, who was a, a talk show host, uh, and a B, I think on the BBC, uh, he called him a pedophile on stage during an act that was being recorded for an album, uh, and you know, I guess. The the uh, the record company was so worried about legal action from Jimmy Seville that he or Saville uh, that uh, they said okay we can't we have to take this out of circulation we're not we're not gonna we're not going to uh, you can't call Jimmy Saville a pedophile are you crazy turns out he was <laughs> turns out yeah he was yeah he was like big time hundreds of people stepped forward after Jimmy Saville died he was a host of Top of the Pops and Jim will fix it and a radio DJ and he, he raised tons of money for charity and turns out he was also a horrible horrible person uh, so he did a lot of good in public and was a monster in private uh, as has happened with Bill Cosby and others so uh, who knew that uh, Jerry Sadowitz at least that case more power to you <laughs> um, so he's live on stage I'd love to go to the Fringe Fest and of course I was in London and I saw like 11 shows, eight museum exhibits, uh, went to five markets, went all over. I did so much stuff. I had a great time. But that was my first time seeing theater in three years. The last show I saw was Dana H. off Broadway in New York City in 2020, March of 2020. So it's two and a half years, I should say. So, oh, my God, I was lucky to get back to theater. But the New York Times says, I'm fairly a known. Now, pop concerts are in full swing around the world. But Broadway and live theater in general, not so much. 
The New York Times says attendance is down in the art world. Everywhere. It's down on Broadway, off Broadway, touring, regional, opera, classical music, you name it. Across the board, across the country, ticket sales are way, way down. 30, 40, 50% or more. Theater is back, but people are not coming back to the theater. That's in contrast to music. Pop music is doing great. Live Nation, as we reported before, said it sold 100 million tickets worldwide, more than in 2019, and the year's not over yet. So that's exciting. But of course, pop music draws young people, while Broadway is an old person's game. Dear Evan Hansen or no Dear Evan Hansen, which is closing down soon. So you've had that experience there in, the, in, in, in LA, haven't you? You went to see a show, and the place was half empty. Yes, and when I was uh, buying tickets for this show or getting tickets rescheduled, uh, I was on the phone with the with the person who was helping me reschedule the my, you know the tickets, and we were looking at the available seats, and there were no available seats. You know, it, it took a while to find four seats together. We found them together, great seats, uh, and 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 we showed up, and nobody was around. There was like, it was half empty. And the, the show, by the way, was The Prom, which is a musical, also turned into a, t- a movie uh, on Netflix. A um, TV musical, uh, yeah. So in that case, you believe there, those were subscribers who had already bought tickets to the season. But even though they'd bought tickets and had tickets and had seats, they just didn't bother going because they didn't feel comfortable yet or didn't want to or did just like, yeah, you know, I'm not ready for live theater the prom. yet. I've seen it on, on Netflix. It's not a great show. It's an, it's a an okay show it's not not very good but yeah but the fact that they already bought tickets and then just didn't even bother to show up that tells you how resistant people are to going back to live theater so just like in new york individual shows can be big hits into the woods is a big hit on broadway right now hamilton's still doing really well but in general people are staying away or spending less and making their decisions at the last minute movie theaters and baseball also baseball way way down in ticket sales movie theaters The product isn't quite there, so I don't know that you can blame movie theaters right now. So that's a little different. Um, But there is some good news. The Spokesman Review in Spokane, Washington, it's a print newspaper, and it says local audiences are back. 2019 set a record for sales for local theater group, and now things are looking good. When you look at the actual article, they don't say ticket sales are bigger than ever. They say an individual show did really well, and this did really well, and people are coming back, so they're optimistic, but there's not the same hard numbers that the uh, New York Times is looking out at. TKTS, well, they are opening up at Lincoln Center again. They've been open up on Broadway and Times Square. One of their other locations is opening up again, so that's good news. And, of course, Harry Styles. He's there in L.A. I'm sure you'll be going to his residency, right, Sperling? Uh, let me see. No, no, I won't. Because <laughs> both not? in, uh, I tried to, I tried to, well, I tried to look up how much tickets were. And, and, you know, that was a question asked quite frequently on Twitter, Facebook, all over the internet. People want to know how much are Harry Styles tickets in Europe or in New York, where he's doing like 20 shows or in LA, where he's doing another 20 shows and they keep adding shows. And here's the thing. Remember the Bruce Springsteen story we talked about? Yeah. Where dynamic pricing. Where, dynamic pricing and and you know you could kind of see bruce springsteen going i don't don't know we just did what the promoter told us to do and i don't i don't know man i don't know i'm an old man (laughs) whatever uh and so now uh they're saying they're doing dynamic pricing for for this harry style show but yet every ticket is the same exact price no matter what and no matter what day there are thousands of tickets available for a wednesday show 
They are just as expensive as the Saturday night at 8 p.m. show. Wow. Now, you can't tell me an algorithm is saying, yeah, no, Wednesday night at 8? Yeah, no, that's, that's the show everybody wants to go to. That's why, that's why tickets cost, get this, $455 is the pit ticket, is the general admission, no seat, pit ticket. Uh, you could get tickets in any one of the levels. So pit, you know, on the floor, uh, first first layer, so to speak, first kind of the loge and all the way up in the nosebleeds. Uh, and yet all the tickets are high priced. Uh, one of the comments being made is that it effectively costs $500 to see Harry Styles at one of these shows. He played Coachella one night and it was Five hundred dollars for the whole weekend, which is three days. So you know that's why people go to go to this dynamic pricing makes zero sense. Well, I don't know that it makes zero sense. I just don't like it. It makes more sense for them. They make more money. They can get people to buy the tickets. If they don't sell, then I think it's obnoxious because people who are fans and want to go, you could sell out. You could get the price you want. Uh, I think changing the price every five minutes is obnoxious and vile. That's something you should. They're not changing the price. That. There is That's no the price. Thing. They're not changing right. the price. There is yeah. no price. Right. They just, yeah, but the f- price is really high, and they say they're changing it based on demand. Yeah. No, they're not. Right. Not so at all. They could foil scalpers, or they can, you know, and, and just charge us a reasonable price of what you think the market can bear, or you could just screw us the way scalpers screwed us. You know, that's what they did. Scalpers scoop up all the tickets and charge exorbitant prices. So they said, well, we'll scoop up all the tickets and charge exorbitant prices. How about you keep scalpers from getting the tickets and you charge $200, $250, and you get a lot of money and people are happy and they don't feel screwed over. But it will build up long-term ill will, you know, when it's the hot ticket in town and nobody's hotter than Harry Styles right now in every sense of the word. Um, no, his song, uh, as it was, has just gone back to the number one slot for the fifth distinct time that's very rare if not never happened before on the billboard hot 100 it's now been number one for 11 weeks on the charts very great song i love the song uh it's his first good album uh he has lots of great singles but it's his first really good solo album it'll probably be my best of the year list so he's a real talent but it really builds up bad ill will i think long term it's not a good idea no, I mean here you've got you've got uh, the U.S. government canceling student loans, right? And then you have <laughs> you have Harry this? Styles what charging five hundred dollars a do ticket. With this, that has nothing to do with this. That has absolutely nothing to do with this. Well, this was the this was the uh, the 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 analogy I was going to use or the word the, the here here's how I was going to try and tie it in. The average ticket price for Rolling Stones, and let's face Don't. it, you know. <laughs> It's $373, okay? They're the Rolling Stones, for Pete's sake. They've been around for 50 years, and they're charging less than a guy who has two albums. They charge. They have high, more expensive tickets than that. Trust me. You mean their average ticket price? Their average ticket price, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. You want to sit down for Most... you're going to pay thousands <laughs> for the Stones. Don't, you can't hold up the Stones as reasonably priced people. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Garth Brooks. But they've been around for 50 years. That's, that, that just means they're lucky to still be packing them in. Anyway, they're packing them in in London. Um, I went to lots of shows, and I saw some full houses, like Jack Absolute Flies again at the National. That was a lot of fun, and when I went a second time, it was pretty damn full. So that was cool to see. I told you about the shows I saw already. I've got a list in our show notes, including 
uh, ratings out of four stars. You can check out if you're interested, if you're headed to London. Patriots at the Almeida, which I saw, which I didn't love, but that is transferring to the West End. It was a sold-out run, and now it is coming to the West End. So that'll be next summer. Uh, but the rest of the shows that I saw, I saw Back to the Future, which was more fun than I expected. I really thought it was going to be junk, and it was actually quite fun. I saw The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is a solid show. Kind of a panto in disguise. It's a little more serious than that, but it was fun. I liked it. It was very faithful to the books. And the two best things I saw, two things that could be my best of the year list, are Punch Drunk, the great immersive theater troupe that did Sleep No More, an adaptation of Macbeth that's still running in New York. They have a new show, finally, called The Burnt City, which is a retelling of the Iliad. It's everything they do well. If you like them, you'll like it. Go check it out. I'm sure it'll be playing for ages. And then I went on a tour of the Dennis Severs house. There's a tour guide. It's sort of a theatrical performance. They're recreating the tours Dennis ever gave over the years. He turned his home into a theatrical production. Every floor is a different era in British history. So you start in the basement and you work your way up and travel through time as he just tells you stories about the house and the people who live there. It's really a unique, unusual thing. You can just go tour the house and look at the design because every room is amazing and filled with a million things to look at. So you can just do that silently or you can go on the tour, which is like three times a week um, but very unusual unique i've been to london many times finally checked it out it was very cool well uh that, glad to hear it and, and i glad couldn't to hear get abba tickets god help me yeah well, i tried everything uh, i could get abba tickets for 200 pounds so sorry i can't afford harry styles or abba you were overseas were you watching some streaming television while you were overseas no i did not no, not at all. I didn't either, actually. I thought I would, but I didn't. I thought I would get that little note saying, are you on vacation? To which I'd say, yes, I am. And they would let me access it. But if I had, I would have been able to start watching my daily, my soap, my story, Days of Our Lives. It's moving from NBC to Peacock after nearly 60 years on broadcast television. It launched in 1965. Now it's going to be on streaming only. It follows Dancing with the Stars, which went to Disney Plus, and CBS's SEAL Team, which is going to Paramount Plus. So there's a trend of shows that have a small but loyal audience going to streaming. Days of Our Lives has 14,000 episodes. If I can convince my mom to start watching Days of Our Lives, she will be set for the next six months. <laughs> that leaves three soaps on daytime television. CBS has two of them, The Bold and the Beautiful and The Young and the Restless. And ABC has General Hospital. General Hospital is the third longest running scripted drama on air in the world beaten only by The Archers and Coronation Street in the UK. And yes, while I was in the UK, I listened to The Archers on the radio. Oh, wow. Okay. Do you watch the Murders in the Building? I really want to. I've heard really good things about it from friends. Everybody I know who's seen it loves it. Yes. So I actually will be watching that. I swear, I promise, just like I promised I'd watch the second season of uh, the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Oh, I'll watch that too. Oh, it's a good show. Maybe yeah. someday I'll get to the end of uh, Orange is the New Black. Uh, you know. <laughs> that you can skip. But Maisel's been very solid. Well, Mur Murders in the okay. Building is a critical hit, and I think it's more Mad Men than Stranger Things, which is what I mean by saying it's a critical hit, gets lots of press, but it's not that big a hit. When you look at our streaming numbers, you'll see it edge into the top 10 in originals, and that's great. That's better than not being in the top 10, but it's way down on the list. It's not a massive 
eyeball hit, but it is getting lots of press and attention, just like Mad Men did. That was never a big show uh, commercially. It was just a big show critically and drew an audience that made it profitable, put AMC on the map for original programming, and then that led to The Walking Dead, but never a big, big commercial hit. And that looks to be the same for Murders in the Building. Not a diss, just an observation. In fact, I watched Jeopardy all the time, and they had Jeopardy College Bowl. I just caught up on it, and three college students drew a blank when asked what TV show Selena Gomez stars in. I'm like, see? I knew it wasn't a hit. <laughs> they should know what show Selena is in. Oh, well. Would it have been a big deal if they had known? It, it no, it wouldn't have been. It would have been expected, but since it wasn't that big a hit. Oh, I see what you're doing. Yeah. I'm moving us along into Big Deal or Big Whoop, our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment and tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. Our first story is all the talk here in Los Angeles, because if you want to buy a sports package for your streamer or cable channel or network, if you want, do you want to, Michael? I do. Well, then you're going to pay. I mean, if you think Harry Styles is expensive, oh my God. (laughs) First, the rights to European football went through the roof. Paramount made a six-year deal for the right to UEFA, and that's the European, yeah, it's the European football. Uh, And the cost for that, Michael? $2.5 $2.5 billion. It makes $500 for a Harry Styles ticket look like chump change. Uh, now, that's a 250% rise over the last rights package, which went for $600 million. Correction, that's $2.5 billion for the English, okay? It's the, the English language rights alone ah. are $2.5 billion. So, just English language. The Spanish language, so now you got Spanish language rights, they're going to be sold later this year. CBS and Paramount Plus can now make hay for the next eight years, at least in the U.S. Second, and this is what everybody's talking about, and you'll see why, uh, the American football package for the Big Ten, this is a college league, League, they locked up rights through the 2029-2030 season, so about eight years, CBS, NBC, and Fox all took a chunk of the games, paying almost $8 billion. It looks like that UEFA stuff makes it look like chump change. $2.5 billion? Pshaw, that's nothing. Uh, you're not talking real money until you get to $8 billion for college football. College football. They're just student-athletes. We want to keep them pure. <laughs> yeah. Well, the games will air on the networks, FS1 and the Big Ten Network, along with Peacock and Paramount Plus. You know, they're getting a little nibble, too. NBC also owns the rights to Notre Dame. I almost always say Notre Dame like it's the cathedral. It's Notre Dame, the the school. Oh, and the Big Ten, by the way, here's what they're talking about. They expanded and now include USC and UCLA. USC and UCLA moved to the Big Ten from the Pac-12. So the Big Ten includes the three top markets in the U.S. and a lot of student-athletes wondering why they have to wait for the NFL before cashing in. Wait, you're getting $8 billion? Maybe I'll just go straight to the NFL. Big deal or big whoop? They don't need to go. They're not going to make it in the NFL, most of them. 95% of them will never even get to a practice session. They need to get their money now. (laughs) Um, It's a big deal because of streamers. These people realize if we want to stay in the game at all, we want to keep the lights on at CBS, NBC, and Fox, and cable with FS1 and all this, we need sports. Yeah. Well, and and here's another thing. Everybody's saying, well, the NFL package is going to go to Apple. Apple's going to come in and and grab the NFL package for American football. You know, in 2029, 2030, somebody's going to have to come along and recut these deals. And as you see, these leagues like to go up, not down or stay the same. (laughs) 
So how in the hell, I mean, you've cut these deals that are ridiculously expensive, that are way out of whack with what is realistic 10 years from now even. So how are you going to go up from an $8 billion deal? You'll be lucky if you get an $8 billion deal the next time. (laughs) Well, here in Los Angeles, of course, there's a lot of uh, pushback and this was big news because USC being the University of Southern California, located here in Los Angeles, UCLA, obviously in Los Angeles. Uh, you know, there's a lot of uh, question about why they're moving from the Pac-12, uh, which is the league they've been in for some time, or the conference they've been in, to the Big Ten, and it's all a money play, and there's, uh, you know, it's all it's, controversial. And, and it's all, it's bad math. Well, you know, speaking of controversy, <laughs> let's talk about Mariah Carey. Big deal or big, no, I'm kidding. Uh, diva Mariah Carey wants to trademark the phrase Queen of Christmas. After all, her song, All I Want for Christmas is You, is a new standard and one of the most popular Christmas tunes of all time. She's released two Christmas albums and two Christmas soundtracks, one for an animated movie based on All I Want for Christmas is You, and the other for a holiday TV special she made for Apple. I didn't even know she did that. So now she's absolutely the queen of... Cri- whoa, 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 whoa. She, wait a second. I'm getting a phone call from Darlene Love. She just called and she says, uh-uh-uh, nope. And I'm not talking about the movie. Not a chance. David Letterman called Love the queen of Christmas decades ago before Mariah Carey even wrote her hit. Also weighing in, singer-songwriter Elizabeth Chan, who made a career out of exclusively recording Christmas music. She formally filed a notice objecting to the trademark. Item number one, in her defense. What do you think it was? It was a New Yorker profile of Chan, in fact, headlined The Queen of Christmas. Item number two, a documentary film by Morgan Spurlock, who I went to school with. Uh, Guess what the documentary was called? The Queen of Christmas. The Queen of Christmas. Yeah. So a New Yorker article, a documentary, an album she recorded called, guess what? You got the it. queen of Christmas. <laughs> That's item number three. Uh, big deal or big whoop? Uh, it's a big deal. You know, trademark and copyright, that office is too lax. As Chan's lawyer says, he's not saying Chan should be able to trademark the phrase queen of Christmas. He's saying no one should have such a broad trademark over something that's been around for millennia. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's ridiculous. Like, yes, she can call herself the queen of Christmas. So can Chan. So can Darlene Love. But none of them gets to trademark it. Uh, speaking of divas, Madonna, she has this new album out, which is contains 50 of her number one dance hits. She's had more number ones on one genre, one chart, than any other artist in history. No one else has had 50 number one country songs or pop songs or R&B songs or or reggae. Nobody. Nobody has had 50 number one songs in any single genre except Madonna on the dance charts. And she has a huge box set celebrating that. And that's just gone top 10. And guess what? She is the first artist to have a number one album, I'm sorry, a top 10 album in every decade from the 80s to today. So six different decades. She has had an album in the top 10. Now that's a diva. Wow. Okay. Well, she's the queen uh, of albums. She's the, yeah, I was going to, I was trying to find some way to put queen in there, but you, you did it for me. Now the Actors Guild sag after won a major concession with producers that it's been fighting for for the past 10 years. The contract change involves exclusivity. Now, in the past, naturally, if you hire an actor to be in your TV show, you expect it to have the exclusive rights to them. 
Maybe they'd make a movie in the off-season, but those actors weren't free to shop around their services when a new season start loomed, you know, a couple months away, like two, three months away. Then came cable and streamers. Suddenly, those few weeks of limbo between seasons, as you waited to hear if your show was renewed, were over. Now, instead of 22 episodes, and that's how much, you know, that used to be a 22-episode season, and then you'd get two months off, people had eight or 10 episodes and found they couldn't do other work for another year and a half because of their exclusivity clause, even if the show hadn't been renewed yet, and another project wouldn't interfere at all. Yes, it's a little more complicated than that, but essentially, Shorter and shorter seasons and longer and longer holds on an actor's availability due to exclusivity became a major problem. And now SAG-AFTRA has won this argument. Big deal or big whoop? Well, it's a big deal, though, from what I hear from the casting director people that we're in touch with in all hours of the day and night. They're like, eh, it's pretty much been the way it's been for a while now. Everybody's understood. Everybody's accommodating. You just have to ask. But now it's official. Now people don't get caught in limbo. Now they don't have to, can I do this? You know, now it's like, no, 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 no. Just because you had someone in an eight-episode series and you can't be bothered to announce whether it's canceled or renewed doesn't mean a year and a half later they should be stuck in limbo. And guess what? It only happened, even though everyone's like, well, this is perfectly reasonable. We saw this coming. Yeah, but it only happened because pending legislation in California forced the producers to come to the negotiating table. Uh, They weren't going to do anything. They were going to stick where they were. But the people agitating for this at SAG-AFTRA got legislators to produce bills into the California state legislature that were moving forward. So what's happened here is what's called a midterm modification. From now on, there will be a three-month window. After principal photography ends, actors can do any other project in the next three-month window without having to clear it with anyone. After that, it limits exclusivity to major actors with various caveats depending on the show, the role, etc., etc. But everybody's just becoming a lot more reasonable and recognizing the reality of what's going on today and not throwing actors over a barrel just because they can. Yeah, I mean, it's this is uh, going to please uh, the assistance to talent agents all over the world. <laughs> they don't have I to mean, constantly <laughs> answer that question. Is so and so available? Like you'd get phone calls nonstop. Is right. so and so available? Meaning, are they available to work or are they available but not really available? Right. And it's kind of a nightmare. Uh, and then you'd say, what, what's the time frame? Okay. And how long is the shoot? Okay. You know, it's just unbelievable. Yeah. Um, I realized that that hadn't happened in some time, but still. It matters. Now, speaking of things that matter mainly to people here in the U.S., the women of The View are celebrating their 25th anniversary in style. Now, that phrase, the 25th anniversary of The View, makes me feel old Mm -hmm. because I remember when it started. I think we started this podcast before The View began. I, I mean, I, how is it the 25th anniversary? Are you sure it's not the 25th season and they're counting seasons like every six months or something <laughs> yeah, like Yeah, like, like, no, nope, nope, 25 years. Unbelievable. The show where women discuss the big issues of the day is the number one daytime talk show in both network and syndication here in the U.S. Woo-hoo! It was, yeah, it was tied with Dr. Phil in households. Ooh. And by the way, for those of you who don't know who Dr. Phil is, you're welcome. really just... Yeah, yeah, you're welcome. Uh, also, maybe see another doctor. Okay, just just saying. He's take the doctor part lightly. Uh, so th- the view has edged past in total viewers, uh, Doctor Phil, with two point four one one million viewers compared to Doctor Phil's two point four 
1.05 million viewers. That puts The View ahead of competitors such as Live with Kelly and Ryan, Ryan Seacrest, The Today Show's Third Hour, Good Morning America 3, Today with Hoda, The Talk, and, well, Jenna, Ellen, and Kelly Clarkson, although Ellen is over at this point. Next season sees a big shakeup with Wendy Williams and Ellen both gone, as a as I just mentioned, Kelly Clarkson is getting a major time slot upgrade and newcomers include former View host Sherry Shepard and EGOT winner Jennifer Hudson. They're both in the mix. Big deal or big whoop? Well, it's a big deal for the show. I like the show. I like what they say most of the time. I agree with them a lot. It's also a big whoop because look at the total number of viewers, 2.4 million viewers, and that's the number one show in daytime and syndication talk. You think about Oprah back in the day when she was garnering, what, 10 million a day? Or you know, yeah. 12 million, something like that. Uh, you look at prime time, uh, 10, 12 million is going to top prime time for the week in, in dramas and sitcoms. You got Game of Thrones over on streaming. That's 20 million viewers. Primetime shows just don't get those numbers much anymore. And Barbara Walters, uh, not heard from during this entire season, not even a taped hello. She's 92 years old. We wish her the best. I know she's a longtime listener of our podcast, but, uh, you know, she's obviously not doing the best right now. And we send out our best wishes to her. You know what? Uh, it's almost enough to make me cry. <laughs> what? Oh, well, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. She would famously get people to cry. Now your father... Loved you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he died when you were five. <laughs> she was How very, did that make you feel? How did that yeah. make you feel? She was a very good interviewer. Yeah, she, but like inevitably, you would go on Barbara Walters because it would humanize you. Yep. Uh, and then you'd cry. Like, <laughs> it's just un, un, unreal. It was uh, good television. That's, yeah, that's kind of, and everybody knew it, you know, when they were going on. But, uh, you know, kind of inside baseball-y kind of stuff, you know. That's right. <laughs> I see it. Keep going. All right. I thought you were going to take over for me because oh, inside, base- <laughs> inside Baseball is where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the business and more importantly, how they affect you. Here's how this, these stories will affect you. You will be going to your cable providers and your satellite provider. You know, you're, you're basically, you, you know, all the people that do cable television. You're going to be giving your cable boxes back to them. Because you won't need them because you will not be subscribing to cable TV because everything's on streaming. Everything is on streaming. Except Sesame Street. We'll get to that in a moment. <laughs> in fact, my question, Michael, is are you ready for some football? I mean, are you ready for some football ratings, actually? Because you're not going to get those because it's on. That's right. Prime Amazon has got Thursday night football and they are partnering with Nielsen in a three year deal for the first time. A live streaming show will be measured the same way a football game on ESPN or ABC is measured. Amazon is giving Nielsen full access to get the data out on Thursday night football. Nielsen will also grab info from Amazon's gaming platform, Twitch, local TV stations, and the home market of each team, and as best it can, out of household viewers watching it at sports bars and the like. So now here's why. Amazon is selling ads at top prices equivalent to NFL games airing on Sunday afternoons. Networks had been losing money, by the way, on Thursday Night Football for years. So they were just keeping it going because they didn't want to give up that real estate or those eyeballs. Even though they lost money on it, it was worth it to them to promote other shows and pull in the money that they could, even though they lost money on it. So Amazon, 
you know, they're, they're, they're playing the same game. They hope to make money on it, and they want to get the word out about how many eyeballs are watching Thursday Night Football on a streamer. But guess what? Unlike CBS and Fox and all those other networks, they're not in a lot of bars yet. Not a lot of bars subscribe to Amazon Prime Video. So it struck a deal with DirecTV to make Thursday Night Football available in 300,000 venues like bars and restaurants. And when you think about all those venues... And and how they're so little counted when it comes to Nielsen ratings, you can realize how far off the ratings actually are. A lot of people watching television on their laptop or in a bar or in an airport and Amazon and DirecTV and Nielsen are going to try and change that. So this is just the first of many TV and streaming stories. Amazon Thursday Night Football is going to be measured by Nielsen. NBC may give up on 10 p.m. TV. The CW is selling, giving up uh, ownership and changing its uh, programming mix. Peacock, we got a story on that. We want to tell you about how streaming beat cable for the first time in history in one particular way. UK subscribers are not subscribing to as many streaming services as they used to. HBO Disco Max continues its purge of programming, including Sesame Street. And Disney Plus is setting new highs, but lowering its sights. So, so a I would lot say of that, stuff is going yeah, on. And I would say the two biggest things are the last two things you, you hit on, which is That's right. David, David Zaslov is walking around with a torch uh, and he's just lighting buildings up. He's just lighting it up. He's <laughs> what just is, like, yeah, you, boom, you, boom, you're you, gone. So You bought this company and you're like, how fast can I destroy it? <laughs> well, one headline said NBC may give up on 10 p.m. programming. Remember a few years ago, they put Jay Leno in at 10 p.m. So well, oh, we'll yeah. just run the Tonight Show. That didn't work well. Now they're thinking of giving it back to local uh television cut stations from 10 p.m., just like Fox does. NBC says, hey, you know, we've discussed this before. It's not happening yet. It wouldn't happen for at least a year. It's just something we often think about and kick the tires of. So it's not happening anytime soon. There's no real plan for it, but the mere fact that they would discuss it is pretty earth-shaking. The CW, that's the ER slot, by the way. That's that, that's the slot that, that a that show used like to ER. be. Right, and they've got three, two nights where they have Dick Wolf for three hours, the Chicago nights and the Law & Order nights, where they've got law and order, law and order, law and order, Chicago, 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 and they all feed into each other and do really well. I guess they're going to need a fourth Chicago so they can have them on two nights a week. I don't know what they plan to do. But, you know, they have hits at 10 p.m. CBS has hits at 10 p.m., so I don't know why they think 10 p.m. is no good. The CW, that's changing ownership. Warner Brothers and Paramount are selling a majority stake in the CW to local station powerhouse Nexstar. Do you know them? I actually do not know them at all. No, yeah, well, I have no idea they, who this company is. They own is. lots of local TV stations. They're a big powerhouse. And not coincidentally, they're looking at a new mix of what they're going to do. That's why Deadline has a new story saying the CW is going to widen their programming scope to include more sitcoms and procedurals and try and market stuff to other channels and things like that. Peacock? Now, NBC is going to start airing their shows on Peacock the next day rather than on Hulu now that NBC Universal has got back the rights from Hulu, which leads us to wonder, what's the purpose of Hulu? Shouldn't it just be folded into Disney Plus and shows like The Handmaid's Tale could just be Disney Plus stuff? I mean, Hulu doesn't have any purpose anymore if it's not the next day home for major network TV shows, which is how it began. Well, Hulu, yeah, it's like a ba- it was the baby step that all these networks took together. Exactly. They, now ABC, they're done. C- ABC, Fox, and NBC said, "Oh well, let's just uh, all go in on this Hulu thing," uh, and then you know, 
everything would appear on Hulu, like all the TV shows that on those networks would appear on Hulu. But now uh, NBC, as you mentioned, they're going to Peacock. Fox, I guess, is now owned by Disney. So, yeah. and ABC also, guess what? Owned by Disney. So you're absolutely <laughs> right. I guess really the reason to break it out is to charge people more money to say, you're not getting just one streaming service, you're getting a bundle of streaming services. So you can, you know, it's one more There's way. just not enough who left for Hulu though. Yeah, you know. I just, yeah. Uh, well, a landmark was reached. If we hadn't had an episode each week, if we hadn't mushed three weeks together into one episode, this would have been our big story, I think, kind of symbolically important. Streaming beats cable. In July, more people watch TV on a streamer than on cable. That's never happened before, but it will certainly happen again. Now, there's a couple reasons why. Number one, a lull in big cable events and the release of the finale of Stranger Things and the movies The Gray Man and Terminalist all contributed to this landmark moment. There was no NFL and no NBA, and that stuff is still on cable and network, so that's what helped streaming beat cable. According to Nielsen, streaming accounted for 34.8% of all viewing in July. Cable accounted for 34.4%. Of course, when you think of cable and broadcast TV, you also think of ABC, CBS, and NBC. They alone accounted for 21.6%. So cable and broadcast is really 56% of all viewing. So it's not like it's dead and gone anymore. But streaming did top the list when you break all three down into individual components. It did it for real. And uh, it might have done it sooner because they're not measuring what I watch on my laptop or what people watch on their phone and that's a lot of viewing. So, you know, so what you're saying is th- this statistic is like the top grossing horror film to be released on an even numbered day in February <laughs> starring a female actress. A little bit, a little yeah. bit, but it's a genuine turning point. It's a genuine moment worth marking, which is why it broke out of the trades and was remarked upon on ABC Evening News and Today's Show. Everybody mentioned, oh my God, streaming's bigger than cable. I, I love the fact that, that broadcast news is like, hey guys, you're not you're watching dead. us, but, but, <laughs> let's, but let's talk about it. <laughs> like, right. Who are you talking to? So in, in the midst of all this, there was a story about the average age of viewers. The CW has the oldest viewer average. What? Almost no, as older than Fox. 58, point, 58 years old is the average age of a viewer on the CW. 58? 58. The CW is supposed to be like 17-year-old girls, right? I, all what, I know is that I now feel like I'm I'm helping bring that demographic down. Okay, granted, I don't watch the CW, but... So Fox's average age is 56.6, the CW is 58, NBC is 61, AB is 61.4, and CBS, the grandpa of the group, 65.5. That means at 65.5 in a year and a half, CBS can retire and get full Social Security benefits. So that's nice. And Um, this is the average age. Do you know what that means? Half of them are older. Here's what's going on. Yeah, like half of them are, are, are in their 80s and 90s. That's right. But here's what's happening. When they get these average ages, they're looking at prime time. They're only covering live viewing and live plus seven. 
There's no streaming included. There's no on-demand included. There's no DVR. Well, there's a little DVR included. There's certainly no Netflix where CW shows also appear. So the way you, there's no phone viewing, there's no laptop viewing. So if you find out where are young people watching the CW, guess what? They're not sitting down in front of their TVs watching it when it airs. <laughs> so it's as much a change in viewership patterns as it is ages. I think it's they're still yeah, the second agree. youngest, and this is kind of meaningless. The UK, so, but but I'm glad we talked about it. <laughs> it's it's meaningless. Let's talk about it. Well, 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 we wanted to explain to people how it could be that the average age could be 58. That seems oh, okay. so confusing. We're explaining the, 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 the actual knowledge behind the numbers. Is, yeah, no, that's because we're not measuring how most young people watch the CW. In the UK, people are subscribing to at least one streamer. 19.2 million households out of 28 million households subscribe to at least one streaming service. That's about 70% of all households in the UK subscribe to a streamer. There's a lot of churn in there. Yeah, but that's okay. Then when they're churning, they're canceling. They're canceling Amazon Prime and they're canceling Disney. And they've got a big, huge heating bill coming up in the winter. Everybody in the UK is freaking out. Uh, the cost of heating is going to go up like hundreds percents. People are yeah. literally, how the hell are we going to do this? It's a major political issue. The government needs to step in and they're not because there's a change in leadership in the Tory party and they're fools. And so people are saying, I can't afford Amazon Prime. You know what they're not canceling? Netflix. <laughs> so when you're looking at churn, Netflix is at the bottom of the list. That's the one people are keeping the most. Amazon Prime, Disney, others, those are going first. So I think that's pretty telling. Well, wait getting- until HBO Disco Max comes along. They're not going to cancel that. That's for sure. <laughs> that's right. They haven't even been able to subscribe to it yet. We're waiting for it all to merge into one big group. So David Zaslav is setting house on fire. What's he doing? Everything. But essentially, this is the way I look at it. He, he bought this company. He was the head of Discovery. Now he's the head of Warner Brothers Discovery. And when he bought the company uh, and took over the company, it has $55 billion in debt. And he told investors, don't worry, I will save $3 billion in, in efficiencies. So he's going around basically firing everyone and cutting all these costs. But at the same time, the company has lost $5 billion in market valuation. So I guess congratulations. Um, but Warner Brothers and Discovery, they're, they're merging. So that means there's some belt tightening around, as I just mentioned. Of course, not. he has yet to like reduce his own pay. <laughs> I've noticed that. Uh, but he's canceling projects. He's shelving. He shelved the Batgirl. The, the oh, Batgirl. Yeah. He shelved we Batgirl. All, we talked about that. We talked now, about I think that. In a way, he's just doing what every new owner does, right? They, they, in some they, ways, They yes. kill the stuff that was greenlit by their predecessors, but hasn't gone into production yet. So no yeah, wonder but to, Twins but to movie, literally say, this movie's so good, we'd rather take the tax write-off? I mean, So bad. On. Yeah, yeah. That, I'm joking. Well, so, we all we've all criticized what they did with Batgirl, uh, though I think long term it won't make any difference when the checkbook is open and they want to make your project. You're not going to say, "Well, I'm not going to work with Warner Brothers." You're still oh, yeah, going to work course. with them. But yeah. well, yes. there might not be anybody to work with. That's the problem. But they they stopped Demi Mon from J.J. Abrams. They thought it was too pricey. They stopped a Wonder Twins movie. They've stopped Strange Adventures, an animated series that sort of the DC spin on Marvel's What If. Then they started dumping stuff that's pretty much done, but they can get more money by canceling it like the Batgirl movie and the Scooby-Doo project okay now this is what I don't get now they're just removing stuff from the HBO Max library I guess because they've decided it's cheaper to not host them and no I one's have no idea nobody can anyway. figure this out nobody can figure this out they're like okay what was wrong with just the whole point of the internet is it has everything 
Right. And now you're taking stuff away. You're 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 literally going to raise the price on HBO Disco Max and it's going to have less than it does now. So how like does I, that work? Like vinyl, this drama about the record industry, not a big show. I'm guessing it wasn't being viewed a lot. It's not like yeah, a, no, probably an evergreen wasn't. like the Sopranos. But what harm is that having it in your library? I do wonder if they actually did a an analysis I'm sure. Uh, and said, well, for the 10 people who watched it, the storage costs based on the memory and serving it. I up, can't imagine that. I mean, it's so they, cheap. Storage costs are so cheap and you've already made it. I literally can't imagine it's cheap. Like just to have it in there makes your library look more impressive. You want people to just, you know, you walk into a, a record store. You want to see a bunch of albums. You don't want to see 10. Even if those are the only 10 you're going to listen to, you still want to see a lot of albums. I can't imagine it's cheaper to dump them. I mean, it's just sitting on your server. But boy, animated fare like Infinity Train, all 100 episodes of Summer Camp Island, including the final season not released yet, Little Ellen, an animated series with 20 unseen episodes, the teen drama Generations, all of this stuff has just been removed from their library, even though it's been sitting there, or it's, you know, it hasn't even been released yet. And they're like, we're out of family fair. We don't care about family stuff. In fact, they removed 200 episodes of Sesame Street, and that's where they went too far. Yeah, because of all the things you just mentioned, I only knew about Sesame Street. From right, reading. that made headlines big time. The way streaming beating cable made headlines, this was headlines in every newspaper. They're like, dear God, there's 8,000 million gazillion episodes of Sesame Street. We only removed 200 of them. They're older episodes. People aren't watching. You know, who cares? So mostly older episodes that were first released decades ago and presumably rarely watched were removed. And shows, of course, that featured the less popular letters and numbers like K and 17. Nobody cares about K. Nobody cares about the number 17. But Listen, yeah. I have Z on the line right now, and he's <laughs> he's suing, I tell you. But now, they didn't do it intelligently. People who care about this stuff looking at it said, you know, there are some iconic episodes like where Big Bird deals with death. Somebody on the street had died, and they incorporated that actor dying into the show and said, this person, the character, has died, and they dealt with grief, right? That's one of those episodes, if you were ever going to go back and look at a classic episode or deal with it, that's one of the ones you would want to watch. And that's one of the ones that was apparently removed. And there are other iconic, important landmark episodes that you would think, okay, we're not going to keep all of season three from 47 years ago, but here's these, you know, being smart here, are, you know, we're going to curate them and here are the best important episodes from all these years or where we introduce this character or that thing, or everybody gets together in Bert and Ernie's bedroom and has a sing along. That's a, an iconic episode. You would curate those and have those available. And that's precisely what they didn't do. <laughs> so HBO had a name for being Sesame Street. They did Fraggle Rock. So they had a long association with Jim Henson. They have all these family-friendly shows. And even if they're saying we're not going to be you know, spending a lot of money on family fare in the future, why would you not want a family-friendly section of your HBO Disco Max where you could say, here's all our family fare. You already paid for it, for God's sake. Why wouldn't you want it there? I don't get it at all. I don't get it either. Um, I, I do understand uh, what's going on at CNN a Oof. little bit 
a, a little bit more. And I don't. They they fired. They they axed the TV show Reliable Sources and the person behind it, Brian Stelter, who's worked on it for years. It was a signature show of CNN. It's a show associated with the predecessor at CNN, Zucker, and of course, yes, and it's an opinionated show that's important on the facts. It really took on Fox News, but it was really just taking on any outlet that distorted the facts or presented lies and misrepresentation. It was a media show that said, we're going to tear down episodes and, and storylines when they don't follow the facts. It's a fact-checking show, and it did a very good job. It was also one of the highest-rated shows on the weekends on CNN, presumably cheap to make. He had a newsletter, a podcast, all this stuff that they were doing. They fired a popular show that was probably making them money. Well, okay, it was a... The highest rated, one of the higher rated shows on the weekend, which right. always got low ratings. So well, yes, so they kept the lights on on the weekend. This is one of the shows that's working when it's not a high news day and it's not part of the daily business Here, news here's cycle. Here's what really bothers me about this. Besides Brian Stelter, who, by the way, has been on this program. Okay, yeah. you might yeah. recall he's yeah. been on this program when he was at the New York Times. Yeah, he is a very talented person. Okay? He'll be fine. <laughs> He'll be fine. Uh, however, what bothers me is that. When before Warner uh, Warner Brothers was taken over by Discovery, he kind of did a little expose and kind of said a few things about John Malone, who is a uh-huh. huge investor in Discovery and a John libertarian right winger. Yeah, yeah, and a very right wing person who said, "Gee, I, I hope that when Discovery takes over Warner Brothers, that they basically turn CNN back into a news channel instead of an opinion channel." Which, granted. It it did veer kind of a little off the tracks with some of these some of these programs, and it and it had stopped being solely news. Now the, the none of them chat, have ever been solely news, but that's a different story. That's Keep a going. different story. Yeah. Now, uh, so that started first. Zucker got, was booted. They brought in Chris Licht, and they're basically going after everything John Malone has said he wanted out. And so my problem with this is that you are you have a shareholder of Discovery and now Discovery Warner Brothers calling the shots at CNN. That's what powerful people do. <laughs> Correct. But you know what? What about all the other shareholders? Do they get a say? Do they get as much of a say if as- If you own as, as much of it as John Malone, then you do. <laughs> yeah, maybe you do. Well, the, I, the problem is reliable sources is not an example of opinion shows like Bill O'Reilly, uh, Sean Hannity, uh, Anderson Cooper. Don Lemon, two people I like, two people I'm not a fan of particularly. They're all opinion shows. And if you think, well, there's too much opinion, you want more straight news, that's fine. But Reliable Sources is a journalism show where they're doing investigative journalism and fact-checking. It's not someone spouting their opinion. It's journalists showing why a certain news story is out of balance, out of whack, and misleading or wrong. And that's a news story. That's exactly the sort of thing CNN should be doing. It's not spouting off opinion. It's doing journalism. So that's not a good example of getting away from opinion. That's an example of getting away from good quality journalism. Well, that that to me, it's an example of you came after me, and I'm going to right, show you. Of course, as a, exactly. As a now, now I'm now I'm in charge of you, and I want to get you booted. Absolutely, of course, that's part of what's going on. In a related story, Nathan Fielder's the rehearsal. Have you watched this sort of reality show? I've heard no. a lot of good things from friends. It's where you get to rehearse the big moments of your life. Like I don't know, quitting a job or someone asking someone to marry. I'm not sure of the conceit, but Nathan Fielder helps you rehearse this with a whole dramatic reenactment of what you're going to do. It's called the rehearsal. It's 
It's very intriguing. A lot of people tell me it's really cool, really worth checking out. It's just been renewed for a second season at HBO Max. And at the same time, they're going to remove it and never show it again. Yeah, Because <laughs> that's what you do, of course. You make a new season and then you hide it forever. I'm lying. It will be seen. But uh, the rehearsal, check it out. I hear good things. What's going on at Disney? Oh, well, the same, a lot of the same stuff. Bob Chapek, a.k.a. Bob 2.0 because of Bob mm-hmm. Iger. Yeah, he's in charge at Disney now, and that means Disney Plus, and he's got a lot of news to share. Most of it is good. Okay, first of all, theme parks, they're back. Everyone is going to theme parks. Yeah, they're not they going to Broadway, but they're going to theme parks. Yeah, well, it, 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 I guess technically it didn't fundamentally change because of COVID, but it, it did in some ways because they don't sell their annual passes anymore. Well, yeah, they, they do. do. They, have, they have passes. They, they have do, passes. but it's, it's changed the way they operate. They're more expensive. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, well, life goes on. Uh, now, here's the, the real thing. Disney Plus, they lost cricket. And this is the bad news because Disney once announced this hugely ambitious uh, goal for its bundle of streaming services. Then it lost the streaming rights to cricket in India, a huge lure since cricket is the country's most popular sport. They also lost football rights to the Big Ten, as we talked about uh, here in the U.S. Everyone knew that this meant that those optimistic targets were now kind of like pie in the sky wishes, really. And uh, they kind of said, yeah, I mean, you might want to forget those. And that's kind of what Disney is doing. They're forgetting them. They lowered, the company that is, lowered its worldwide goal of subscribers by 15 million subscribers with a low-end target of 215 million. They may refine, as they say, uh, they're refined as in air quotes. Uh, they're going to f- maybe refine that target down the road. Make it and, even lower. Yeah, it was just last quarter, by the way, that they had predicted 230 million subscribers by however, 2025 I, or 2024 it was like some, i was like how are you going to do that in like a year and they said we're no not sense. we're not however they do have some good cricket news disney did snag indian broadcast and digital rights to both men and women global events overseen by the international cricket council lots of big international events lots of women cricket which they're doing a really good job of helping promote and build up so uh the news is not all bad on cricket all right. Well, they also got 14 million new subscribers this quarter. So that's, I guess, on the bright side. That's they, pretty good. Uh, they only predicted 10 million. So that's 40% over their goal. <laughs> oh, okay. Even better. Netflix and Warner Brothers Discovery, you know, Warner Brothers Disco, they lost subscribers during the same quarter. So they're growing. <laughs> that's yeah. what Disney said. Yeah, I, I do uh, wonder what the ARPU is on that. Since that's right, under- they make a lot less money per subscriber than Netflix, so they've right. got a, a long time before they can laugh all the way to the bank. But speaking of the bank, how much money do they have in the bank to spend on content? Well, here's where things uh, kind of differ. Disney is spending, and they're going to continue to spend in the low $30 billion range for content for all of their properties. And that includes movies, theater, music, TV properties, ABC, Disney+, ESPN, Hulu, and all the cable channels and so on. So I guess my question, do theme parks count as content? Uh, probably not. That's a I, don't, totally I don't think so. I don't think I don't so. Think so. Yeah, That's no. a lot of money. And guess you know why? They should be thumping their chest. Disney beat Netflix. Disney's bigger than Netflix. Wait, what? They did tout that. Remember when we, we kind of talked about that uh, during our last episode when and we were like wait 
How are you counting that again? <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. So uh, to remind you, Disney, if you add it all up, Hulu, ESPN+, Plus, Disney+, Plus, Disney Hotstar, for the first time, someone has more subscribers than Netflix, and that someone is Disney. They report 221.1 million subscribers compared to Netflix's 220.7 million subscribers. Of course, Netflix makes much more per subscriber, which brings us to our final point. Your cost for Disney Plus is going up. Yeah, they basically said, well, we've, we're kind of thresholding on new subscribers in most territories. So you know what we're going to do? Raise the price now that we have you on board. Uh, to which the UK said, we're canceling you. No, they didn't. Uh, but yeah, so I guess it's going up to what, $8 with ads? No, it's, it's, ads. It, it, it's, uh, it's $8 right now. Right now you pay 8 bucks. you don't have any ads. Now you're going to get ads. So you don't have to switch. You're going to pay the same price, but you're going to have ads. If you don't want In the ads, middle of a movie, they're going to put an ad? I don't know how they're doing it, whether they're doing it at the beginning and the end or what sort of curated ad experience they're going to do. It would depend on what you're watching. I imagine a movie versus a TV show versus, you know, sports and stuff. So it's going to depend on what programming you're looking at, but we don't have good word yet on what those ads will be or where they will appear. Same thing for Netflix. But if you don't want ads, it's going to cost you $11 a month. So that's almost a 40% jump in price. Same for Hulu and ESPN. If you offer ads, it costs more. If you don't it'll cost more anymore <laughs> you're gonna pay more but the real news here is simple it's not about disney wanting to charge you more money disney wants you to bundle it costs a lot less to bundle disney plus hulu and espn plus purchased alone espn plus in north america is 10 bucks a month disney plus without ads is 11 bucks a month hulu without ads is 15 dollars a month my god that's 36 dollars but bundle them all together and you just pay 20 dollars a month if you don't mind ads, you'll pay $15 a month more for all three. Yeah, I guess it depends on how they do the ads. So if you've already got a TV package with ESPN, you can pay $10 a month for Disney and Hulu with ads. So bundle, bundle, bundle. That's what they see as their future. Just like Disney, uh, just like uh, Warner Discomax. Yeah, and you know, uh, I actually got a, a phone call from Verizon. They wanted me to... Uh, switch over to uh, use them instead of uh, Time Warner. Uh, I guess it's not Time Warner anymore. It's Spectrum for my internet access. And I thought, oh, these, these cable companies are just doomed because as soon as 5G comes around, it's, it's better than most cable providers yeah. with, with speeds and it costs less. So that geographic monopoly that we always complained about of mm -hmm. cable providers, you know, like I have to have spectrum, you have to have spectrum because of where we live. That's it. Just because of what we have no competition. Well, that's going to change. All right. Well, you know what's not going to change? People die. It's very sad, but it's true. I've got 472 people to cover here, and I'm going to give one line for each of them. I'm going to do my best, but I'm going to go deeper on one of them because it's an embarrassing story for me. What? Let me guess. It's jo Joanne Koch. Eth Ethan Hawke. Uh, I uh, mean, uh, Jean-Jacques Semp. Uh, it's, uh, it's, the, uh, it's, the it's the New Yorker illustrator. Let me get his name properly. Jean-Jacques Sempé who okay. died 89. That's, that's what I'll save for last. So here we go. Bill Pittman. He was a guitarist in the Wrecking Crew. He dies at 102. The Wrecking Crew was a famous studio band. Uh, here's the one thing I didn't know, and I hope you go to our, our show notes and read about all these people because they're all interesting and cool. The one thing I didn't know about Bill Pittman, he taught a young Phil Spector how to play jazz guitar. 
<laughs> and, help, and help promote Phil Spector's first demo. And then he played on every Phil Spector recording date for years, so that makes sense. Lincoln Center figure Joanne Koch dies at 92, not related to the Koch brothers. She was a big figure at Lincoln Center in their film programming. She made the new director's new films happen. She oversaw the New York Film Festival for many, many, many decades, and she helped oversee the building of the Walter Reed Theater, my favorite movie theater in New York City. Great place to see movies. Hollywood stunt legend Gene LaBelle dies at 89. He was the inspiration for Brad Pitt's character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So check out the story to find out how he showed down Bruce Lee and his showdown with Steven Seagal. Actor Anne Heche died at 53 after a horrific car accident. Very sad, tumultuous private life. Uh, we've got some more in our notes and Variety has a more thoughtful take on her life than I could ever do. Jazz producer Creed Taylor dies at 93. He founded two jazz labels, he was incredibly successful as a producer, creating big hit albums in the 60s and 70s when rock and roll had basically taken over. He was able to make jazz really, really popular, including the mic drop moment of producing the album Gets Gilberto, one of the great albums of all time. If you've never listened to it, start playing it now and thank me later. It's bossa nova and you'll love it. A Ranger that, per- that is literally one of the best jazz albums of all time. One album, yeah, album period. Arranger, orchestrator, photographer, composer, Cy Johnson died at 92. Another big figure in jazz, if you're a jazz aficionado. I was going to explain what an arranger versus an orchestrator does versus a producer, but we don't have time. But he worked on the Broadway show Black and Blue, the Coppola film The Cotton Club. He did a big interview with Miles Davis. And if you know the answer to this, for God's sakes, help me. He wrote his own musical, based on the works of J.R.R. Tolkien, called Hobbit Hobbit. You know I went to YouTube. You know I went to all the streaming services trying to track it down. There's no LP. They didn't record it. If you have any info on Hobbit Hobbit, I want to hear it. So please let us know. Uh, I'm just going to skip over the cartoonist. Director Gerald Potterton died at the age of 91. A big director in Canada and Britain. His two big claims to fame. He worked on the Beatles musical Yellow Submarine. And he directed the movie Heavy Metal, a landmark midnight movie. Tony nominee Bob Lupone died at 76. He's the brother of Patti Lupone, but that's not all. He was in a chorus line, the original cast, nominated for a Tony, nominated for a Daytime Emmy for his work on All My Children, and he founded MCC Theater in New York City, a great off-Broadway space that produced Wit and Hand of God and other hits. Songwriting legend Lamont Dozier of Motown died at 89. Obviously, Holland Dozier Holland, uh, he did all sorts of stuff on his own, got a Grammy-winning song, Two Hearts with Phil Collins, worked with Alison Moyet, Simply Red, all these people, but Motown, they turned the Supremes into a hit act. They had released 10 singles for the Supremes. They had all flopped until Holland Dozier Holland turned out Where Did Our Love Go? That went to number one, the first of 10 singles to go number one for the Supremes. Lots of hits for lots of people. Marvin Gaye, The Four Tops, you name it. Very cool guy. And Mabel John just died, the first female solo act signed to Motown. Raymond Brigg, a really important artist in graphic novels and comic books. He did... Uh, Where the Wind Blows, which blew my mind when I was a kid, the delightful Ethel and Ernest, the story of his parents' marriage and life. And most famously, he did The Snowman, a wordless picture book about a little boy building a snowman and spending a night with him and having a wonderful time. When he wakes up the next morning, the snowman is a puddle. 
turned into a gorgeous, lovely half-hour animated special shown every year in the UK, as touching and delightful as How the Grinch Stole Christmas or It's a Wonderful Life is for us. That's what the snowman is for people in the UK. Make it part of your holiday tradition. Director Wolfgang Peterson died. He went to Hollywood, made a lot of bad movies. Some were successful, but his masterpiece will always be the German film Das Boot and his lifelong collaboration with Jürgen Prochnow. So uh, a lot of interesting stuff there. Film worker Leon Vitali died at 74. He had a key role in Stanley Kubrick's Barry Lyndon. Then he devoted the rest of his life to working with Kubrick, helping him over the next 25 years make The Shining, Full Metal Jacket, and Eyes Wide Shut. And when Kubrick died, he became a keeper of the flame and, of course, is the focus of the documentary film Film Worker. And finally... Back to the cartoonist, Jean-Jacques Sempé, the French cartoonist. Where is he? Where is he? There he is. He died at the age of 89. Long-time readers of The New Yorker will recognize his whimsical, nostalgic style. He drew more than 100 covers for the magazine oh, wow. over the last 44 years. Follow the link in our show notes and you'll smile and say, oh, yeah. I recognize that. He preferred drawing the past, but not with rose-colored glasses. He said, I love to draw street scenes, and that means that you have to draw cars, but I hate drawing modern cars, he told The Independent in 2006. They are very fast and very efficient, but they have no charm. For me, the modern world lacks charm. I'm not saying that things were always better in the past. They weren't, but things looked better, or at least more interesting to me. Perhaps his most famous creation are a series of books written by René Goscinny and illustrated by Sempé about a mischievous schoolboy growing up in the 1950s known as Le Petit Nicholas, Little Nicholas, a charming series of books. I loved them. I read them as an adult. I never saw them as a child. And I don't know why I did it. But I had interviewed Ethan Hawke like three or four times. He was always super generous with his time with me, always very generous with his time. And one time I was, uh, he'd just been so generous and way above and beyond the call of duty. And he had kids who were young and the right age. And I thought, I bet his kids would enjoy Little Nicholas. That's something he would like. A French, And I bought it as a thank you gift. Like, you know, when you're rich and famous, people just give you shit. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. You're rich, you're famous, you don't need anything. People love to give you stuff. But I really was grateful for the time he spent with me. And then I didn't give it to him. He, he was at Lincoln Center. I was going to drop it off at the stage door and I never got around to it. And then I was embarrassed. And then I was interviewing him again like two years later and I brought it with me and I thought, don't give it, don't give it, don't give it. And then I gave it to him. He was like, oh, thank you. <laughs> it's like, why are you giving me this children's book? So I was, and I explained why, but it was embarrassing and stupid and I shouldn't have done it. <laughs> and that's my story. And you're sticking to it. And we're and sticking, st sticking to this, apparently. Yes, my God. 40 years, 40 hours long, but we did it. We did it, Sperling. High five. Virtual high five because, you know, you got the COVID. So yeah, that's right. Bump, I do have right? COVID. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope you feel better. And I feel uh, great. I, I've never I, felt bad except for that one night. And then Paxlovid worked like a charm. Well, uh, you know what? While you are recuperating and uh, are on the mend, uh, although you seem to be pretty much over it uh why not uh subscribe to our show in itunes the google podcast store microsoft marketplace stitcher spotify anywhere they give podcasts away for free find out if michael makes it to next week's show uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh subscribe to us and please do rate and review the show in any one of those podcast aggregators that allows you to do so you can find that information on our website where you'll find links to all of the stories we've discussed on today's show as well as ways to contact us dirt at showbizsandbox.com is our email address that's d-i-r-t at showbizsandbox.com 
You can also call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. We're also on Twitter at Showbiz Sandbox is our handle. We're on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Showbiz Sandbox is where you can like our page. Again, all of that information is on our website, ShowbizSandbox.com. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group, MGMT. They can be found on their own website, whoismgmt.com. And you know what? When are they releasing another album? I think they're, they're close. But in any case, Michael Gilt has a website, and every week it's something new and exciting. What is it this week, Michael? This week it's scienceworks.com. Yes, medicine is good. Well, you know what? I'm sure that's actually a website. But if you can't find any of Michael's coverage of the entertainment industry there, why not head on over to michaelgiltz.com where all of his work can be found. Some of my work can be found on Celluloid Junkie. Until next week, play nice. (laughs) 